Hello and welcome to After Dark from Fin... Oh, it got all serious. People suddenly started listening. That was that was good. I'm clearly using my um, teacher voice here at this stage, aren't I? But uh, uh, welcome to Fintech Insider Podcast, live on stage from New York City. For everybody listening to this on the podcast, New York, make a little bit of noise. You've been here before. <laughs> All right, as always, if you haven't been to an After Dark before, there is always a theme, and this theme is going to be super interesting, as you haven't, if you haven't picked it up from everything that you've seen so far. Um, New York is synonymous with various different types of music in this sense, and it's the uh, New York's very own A Tribe Called Quest once wrote, scared money don't make none. And actually, in the context of the fintech world and recent trends reflected in everything that we're seeing with regards to decentralized and embedded finance, it probably follows that theme pretty well, doesn't it? Um, probably quite a lot of scared investors in recent weeks. Awkward, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but you turned up. I get, was it for the free alcohol because of the scared investors? Or um, we'll, we'll, we'll find out as we go. Um, as we are recording this in the city that gave us all of this anti-establishment uh, genres of music, whether it was punk with the Ramones or Blondie, or whether it's hip-hop legends with people like Nas and Biggie Smalls. Um, it feels weird to say that in an English accent, doesn't it? I don't know why I feel like I'm coming off increasingly more English as we, we go. Tonight, what we're going to be doing is trying to examine DeFi and embedded finance, whether they are the, the punk and the hip-hop world in that sense. Um, and what we mean by that is, I mean, DeFi has taken a, a bit of a, a DIY ethic to, to actually some disrespect to the existing establishments and the, the, the communities and the setup around it. And while hip hop and, and actually everything that we're seeing with embedded finance is very much resampling all of the existing work that's out there in the world as well. So tonight what we're going to be asking is who will hit the mainstream, which is going to be an interesting thing to see as that evolves. And can mainstream players move much more into that counterculture as well in terms of everything that we're seeing? Um, but this isn't going to be like an hour-long monologue from me, just in case you were concerned immediately, having sat in the front row. Um, so what we should do is bring on some of our super-duper awesome guests. So first up, I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by my 11FS colleague, Guerra Kiwana. How are you doing, Guerra? Year on, yeah. Is this hot? Yeah, like industry lingo and everything. It's kind of cool. Um, so, I mean, getting us started on the, on this one, Guerra. I mean, obviously, punk and hip hop is going to be like a big thing of what we're doing. So, what's your what's your favorite punk and or hip hop track? So that's a big question, uh, <laughs> and I had to, thank you for sending it earlier. So I'd say Jay Dilla. Um, and that makes you sound like a hip hop head. I'm not. I only came to hip hop in my early twenties. Uh, which is weird, but... Early 20s, in which we realized was about four seconds ago. Two, two ago. <laughs> I'm a millennial still. I'm not a Gen Z. But, um, yeah, no, I, I really like him because he, like, a lot of... I, I came to him the other way around, which makes sense. Like, I listened to Kate Trinata, Tribe Called Quest, Erica Badu, who all have sampled his stuff. And then he's sampled a lot of stuff from, like, James Brown. So, like, it just... Jay Dilla is kind of, like, just a great... Producer, love him. And he's from Detroit, which is a great city as well, so. There we go. I knew Sam would give a shout out to Detroit at that point, but uh, I promise you guys, <laughs> we will get onto financial services at some point. Like, we'll get there eventually, but uh, all right, Jay Diller, good, good shout. I know um, uh, Alex, our uh, audio engineer, will definitely give a big thumbs up for that one as well. All right, uh, more guests to bring out. So I promise you that bringing out the guests won't take the next hour of, uh, of everything there, but I hope you guys do have a drink in your hand. Um, next up, make some noise for Wizard Jaleskia. 
Am I pronouncing it? There we go. Uh, VP Developer <laughs> Relationship at Chipper Cash. <laughs> I've not quite heard that variation of my yeah. surname before. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, that's only one beer in as well. Like, three more in, it's going to get even worse. I apologise. It's, it's why we do the, uh, the, the names at the beginning, because then I, I'm at least coherent slightly you know, at that stage. But uh, um, for anybody who doesn't know, give us a bit of an overview. What does Chipper Cash do? Oh, right. So we are a uh, cross-border mobile money app enabling 7 million uh, users in Africa to transact cross-border, usually intra-Africa, but also just launched in the U.S. Really difficult to get a license from the NYDFS. Congrats. Yeah, (laughs) pretty happy about that. And yeah, uh, we have a multitude of services, crypto stocks, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. Very cool. I mean, it seems really weird after doing something super awesome like that to ask you, what's your favorite punk or hip hop track? But I'm going to do it anyway. (laughs) Uh, It's definitely a hip hop song. Um, Jay-Z Regrets uh, from his first album. Any Jay-Z fans in the house? Yeah. Yeah? Okay, cool. I'm happy. (laughs) Very cool. Very cool. I I love the fact that Sam Moore put his hand up to being a Jay-Z fan there as well. Like, that's impressive. The, 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 I feel like every reference is just for Sam Maul in the yeah. audience. Yeah, I mean, the Detroit is. reference was for Sam Yeah, it was. It's great. Yeah. So uh, no pressure for our, our next guest then in terms of uh, you've got to appease Sam at some point in your introduction here. Last but by no means least in this sense, uh, Larissa DeBerco. I probably killed that pronunciation as well. Larissa is Head of Partnerships at Orem. Larissa, thank you very much for coming. How are you doing? I'm great, thanks for having me. Tell us a little bit more about your role, and then I am going to ask you what your favorite hip-hop or punk track is as well. You are. I know. Um, So (laughs) I'm head of partnerships at Orem, um, and Orem is the go-to platform for instant, uh, real-time money movement, all through a unified API. And we're about a year uh, in market, uh, and excited to be here. Very, very cool. And what's your favorite punk or hip-hop track? This was very hard. Um, I had to confirm that uh, Blondie indeed fell into... Uh, punk, um, but I'm going to actually go with uh, Juicy by Biggie. This was one of my favorites when I was approximately, sorry, you're so much younger than me. Um, uh, I think I was like 12 years old, heard it at summer camp and made my camp counselor play it over and over and over again, which was probably on a cassette tape, um, but I think it's just one of the best. Very cool. Your, your camps were far more entertaining than mine. Like my Cub Scouts camps were not playing Biggie. Yeah. Like that's not, a, wasn't a thing, you know, dibbing <laughs> in Bobby. Steve the Queen? Was that, was that yeah, I know. Maybe, maybe, yeah. yeah. There was definitely a flag involved, for sure. Uh, but maybe let's get down to it in terms of the show. All right, so um, that was kind of cool, right? I just should bring attention to it. Um, first of all, let's talk a little bit about mainstream appeal. Obviously, from uh, you know hip-hop heroes and legends of the various different block parties that we've kind of seen. We've seen hip-hop go super, super mainstream, you know, headlining at the Super Bowl. That is an amazing sort of mainstream movement in that sense. Um, Meanwhile, obviously, Punk's Pioneers have had a bit of a a rocky sense. You don't hear from Blondie so much these days, do you, in in, in that sense? So um, what do you reckon is going to happen in this sense, then? Do you think DeFi and everything that we're seeing with embedded finance, is it going to burn out or is it going to take over the world? I have a view on this, but I want to first assess uh, the uh, technical competence of the audience. Wow, you didn't realize it was going to be a test, <laughs> did you? Uh, please raise your hand if you may have lost money in the Terra Luna collapse. 
Okay, so it's a fairly technical audience. Uh, um, d d sorry, does losing money in something denotes... Uh... <laughs> you won! Well done! <laughs> in this particular case, because it was, it was actually uh, non-trivial to get your money into uh, uh, Anchor specifically, and I think it illustrates just how early uh, the space is, but also illustrates how much demand there is for certain types of use cases. And, you know, seeing here in, being here in New York, I can see that the type of financial services problems that many people have here are very different from, like, Africa, where, you know, I'm, I'm pretty much based. But, like, the strength of the use case for some audiences is extremely compelling, and there are no viable alternatives. And I think that's something that's worth paying attention to. Uh, on the flip side of that coin, those are the places that have, like, the slowest regulatory adoption. And in the absence of regulatory frameworks, things like that, like the terror thing are going to, like, collapse and, like, it's going to be shaky. But I think there's, there's still quite a lot of uh, upside for the industry to, to develop in very many compelling ways. Yeah. I mean, we, we have seen in the absence of, of regulation, things like buy now, pay later sort of spring up as a sort of resolving a problem without the market necessarily defining it. But do, you, but do you think we're going to need to get that regulation in place, particularly on the DeFi side of things, right? I think so, because consumers need protection. And in the absence of regulatory frameworks, it's like really charlatans who uh, succeed because they can get like very large audiences. And, you know, there's, it's easy for the structure to encourage perverse incentives to form. Yeah. And the solution to that is like actually regulation. And, you know, I'm, I'm like a pro crypto person, like 60% of my net worth is in crypto. <laughs> I don't know that's, <laughs> Drew's out on that one, right? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> but again, like, I'm not sure that makes you a pro at it. <laughs> <laughs> that makes you just bad at spread betting. Well, to be fair, it's more more by consequence rather than design. I made sure. my money there. I didn't like convert my hardened Malawi quarters to like, <laughs> UST as an example. Uh, but I, I clearly see how it helps someone like me and it opens doors for me that uh, I otherwise would unable be, to be able to access. Hmm. And there's a lot of people like me. So I think that's, there's something there. Yeah. yeah. What, what, are you, what are you saying? A DeFi is it, uh, and actually from a embedded finance perspective, is it going to go mainstream in that sense? I think so. I think with embedded finance, at the end of the day, it's really a tool, a, distri a distribution tool that enables different verticals to seamlessly, you know, move money. And I think that at the end of the day, it's about how quickly can you address consumer need. Um, and so it's it's not so much about mainstream or not. It's about how either sort of vehicle can help people gain access to the market or um, sign up for products and services that they would otherwise not have access to. And so to me, I think that's really the question. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. Greer, what do you think? I mean, so uh, I'm a fintech insider, quote unquote, um, and I think that like... You've got a t-shirt and everything. Uh, like, uh, not today, but <laughs> usually I am wearing my fintech insider shirt. Um, but uh, embedded finance is something we talk about in the industry like quite often, like every single day. Investors I speak to, like clients of ours, friends of mine in the space, like it's embedded, everyone's trying to be a bass. So it, it's mainstream in like, in that small world of, which I, in my opinion is quite small, of fintech nerds. So I think it's mainstream, yes. Everyone's trying to do a bass play. I think Melissa Strange was her name who said that every tech company is gonna be a fintech company. That's only gonna happen via like embedded finance or will be enabled by embedded finance. So yes, it's mainstream, but it's it's definitely powering a lot of what we do. But I'd say DeFi is, I don't know if it's mainstream quite yet. Like my mother right now is my barometer for like what's mainstream and what's not. And she's not out here telling me about like yield farming and like, and like talking about like staking, you know? But uh, like, I think that it, it, the future of it is, I mean, we can talk more about this later, but like I think the future of it is gonna be 
embedded, so embedded DeFi. Like, so in a sense, these are like distant cousins. Is, is there a, I mean, we clearly need to get your mom on the podcast at some point just to kind of have <laughs> this conversation. Love it. Just because I think it would be fun. For, yeah. for us, probably not you, but uh, <laughs> yeah. but, um, but I, I guess in that sense, you know, does the does DeFi and embedded finance, though, have a very different arc to their story in that sense? Because I think to your point, actually, from an embedded finance perspective, it seems like a logical extension, you know, literally, of, of actually what the industry has been progressing towards for a while. Whereas DeFi, the idea of DeFi going mainstream is sort of counter what it stands for to a certain degree. I think there's like a, a question of abstraction, right? So maybe yield farming doesn't excite Square's mom, probably. But I'm sure that if you were to tell her that... Can, like, we, can we get her on the phone now? Or? <laughs> she would pick up, though. <laughs> but I, like, I'm pretty sure if you told her, like, hey, mom, if you put some of your... Is she in Uganda? She's actually, yeah, she's, well, she's okay. in New York right now, surprisingly, oh, okay. which is crazy. Amazing. Yeah, you should put some of your Ugandan shillings here and, yeah. like, earn 5% APY on dollar terms. And, yeah. You know, like, the Ugandan shilling versus the U.S. dollar, it's, you know, it's like, it starts to look very compelling for a user like that. But they don't need to know, you know, how the sausage is made. Yeah. And I think that the path to adoption for DeFi is going to be, like, you know, through technical users who use, like, as a backend. Because it's like... Stable coins are an amazing technology, and I don't think we have even begun TerraCide <laughs> to exploit their potential. So I think it will be mainstream, but it won't be visible to you. It'll be like uh, Netflix made AWS mainstream in some ways, but you don't log on to Netflix and say, oh, wow, the latency is amazing. Right? <laughs> you just want to watch the movie. <laughs> so I think that's, that's the level of abstraction is very key to pay attention to. Yeah. And does that sort of point to a little bit where we're not mainstream? We're mainstream from an industry, you know, Geeks like us have all turned out to have a conversation about this, but to the point about Guerra's mum, you know, pe normal people on the street, not wanting to call your mum normal, uh, <laughs> but people who are not embedded in this uh, industry just don't really care yet because it's not really solving a real problem for them. So is it a use case thing that we're kind of lagging with, do you think? Uh, and I guess that, that sort of points to where the potential is from an industry perspective as well. Well, first of all, my mother is anything but normal, and so I'm very <laughs> glad that we're not using her for a barometer of anything today. Um, but I think that, all kidding aside, I think what's really interesting is that embedded finance can be the tool to make DeFi become more mainstream, right? And so if you think about um, whether that's wallets or super apps or um, even just money movement on and off, uh, like on and off ramping of funds, that is where I think they, they all come together, right? And so I don't think it's necessarily an either-or proposition. Yeah. Definitely, um, definitely not. Uh, I'm not using people's parents of it, but taxi drivers have stopped talking to me about cryptocurrency. There's like a tip. I don't know if that happens here in, in New York, but for a period of time in London, it was like, oh, have you heard of this thing called Ethereum, mate? Like, is there a real... <laughs> uh, at, at that point, it's like, I don't tell them what I do for a job, you know? I mean, it's just, uh, it's just, it's just weird and awkward. Um, do you think, I mean, again, not people like us, but do you think actually this is an interesting thing, a point from a community perspective then as well? Because, I mean, the, obviously using the, the metaphor that we had around uh, punk and, and hip-hop, there's communities, there's culture that forms kind of around those things. I mean, people can get, we were saying this backstage, people can get weird and hipster about anything, can't they, you know? So uh, do you think the community around these subjects can actually stand going mainstream in that sense as well? When everything becomes popular, when your mum is talking to you about it over breakfast, like, yeah. are we going to be cool with that, do you think? So with DeFi, I don't think that the communities that have formed around like DeFi, like DeFi, like crypto bros and such, 
they I don't think they want to go mainstream. Like it's like as much as they talk about like inclusivity and like um, being you know democratizing things. Like they actually are so gate they gatekeep so much, and it's incre- the UX in 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 crypto is just horrible in Web three. So uh, I don't see like at least in the short term that kind of those kinds of communities forming in a bigger way. At least not until like a Coinbase or like a having a hard time to give names of companies like a Binance or to like really tackle the UX problem. But yeah, the, the communities are like, we're seeing them in the form of DAOs, we're seeing them in the form of people who are like, it's 15,000 steps to like buy a token to be a part of a DAO. And even then you have to read the manifesto and it's like, oh my God, this, it's, so the communities are super gatekept right now. And I don't see that changing, mm. uh, at least not for the short to midterm. I think I think that's true. I mean, even in terms of the... the um acronyms people are using feel sort of almost exclusive rather than inclusive in that sense, which is a kind of a weird thing, isn't it? Anytime those things are being used as a, like say, sort of a, a hipster walled garden of, uh, well, you're either in this club or you're not in this club, that doesn't feel good, if that makes sense. If I need a thesaurus to understand actually what you're talking about, it's probably not going to be the setup. So, But that sort of points again to, you know, we're a long way away, particularly in the DeFi space for, for any sort of mainstream adoption, really. Okay, if you look at a company like uh, TCMC, how many of you are familiar with TCMC? I like this guy. Sam. It's super, super Sam. technical, right? <laughs> He's just putting his hand up now. He's just like, uh, whatever just the like question is. Just, just yeah, keep it up the whole time. up here for Sam. <laughs> <laughs> right? I'm pretty sure all of us in this room are like TSMC beneficiaries in some form. So, you know, it's, it's a Taiwanese semiconductor company that makes a component that is in pretty much all of your like smart devices. But you're not like raving about TCMC. You're raving about Apple. I love my iPhone. Like, ah, I can't believe it. They've put like a magic box with all the world's information in my hand. <laughs> like, it's insane. Like, right? Like, the, the functional benefit is not the technical capacity of the semiconductors that make up, you know, my phone, but it's like the user benefit. And I, I really think that that lens is a useful one to view this uh, with. With that being said, um, I think that, like, I definitely have to agree with, with Greer. As a self-identifying uh, crypto bro, <laughs> I do see a lot of the challenges in the, in the industry. Thank you so much. Uh, and I think there's, there's work to be done. It shouldn't be that way. I think it can and should be more uh, inclusive. And one of the ways that happens is by reducing the technical barrier to adoption, which, again, is an abstraction question, right? So those are my high-level thoughts. Okay, okay. All right. Well, um, keeping with the the sort of punk theme, there's a there's a quote here which says, "If you used to be punk, then you never really were," which is a kind of an interesting context for uh, the, the 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 industry in that says. So we've sort of seen obsessive cliques, authorities, gangs, looks, you know, various different sort of feuds kind of building out in terms of the the territories or different sort of movements in that space. Um, but often they've impacted the end product, and you know, in in many senses, in the music sense kind of cut people's careers short. I'm not saying that's how we start to solve problems within financial services, although it would be battle raps within FS would be quite an interesting thing to, to conclude fights. I can see Jamie Dimon getting into that, can't you? I think it would be an interesting one to do. But while we sort of discuss this a little bit more, um, if you guys want to sort of contribute to this in, in that sense, um, the word cloud used for actually describing how you see embedded finance or DeFi. I'd love to kind of know your thoughts on that and we'll, we'll sort of pick those out as we, as we go through as well. Confusing probably is one of them that will come out quite a lot. Um, so, I mean, do you, do you think in that sense there's, there's similar forces holding back DeFi and embedded finance? Is this a, 
Is this a, an exercise, do you think, in terms of just being clear of what all of these different terms are? Because only Sam put his hand up when you said that about the, you know, who knows what this actually is. Um, when we sort of get to that point where, um, you know, DeFi does get mainstream, and like we say, from that community perspective, that sort of selling out process, um, do you think it can kind of withstand that, that movement? I was going to say, I think it's like you thinking about two distinct audiences, right? There's like crypto native and people who were into it, you know, day one. And then there's probably people like me who are curious. And so I think if you think about those distinct um, segments, then I think the answer is yes, it can go mainstream, but it's more about, again, to your point earlier, like what is the utility, right? Is it, am I investing in crypto or is crypto a means to an end? Can it help me access my paycheck? Can it uh, enable seamless money movement, right? And so I think that, um, again, it ties back to like, what am I enabling for the for the the end user, and who is that end user, right? I think it's a little nuanced. Yeah, what, one of the things that has obviously fueled the the punk and hip hop movement has been sort of the either collaborations or beefs that go kind of go with that in that sense as well. I mean, we haven't seen so much of that in the the, the fintech uh, context, although uh, I mean, obviously, recently uh, everything that kind of came out with um, yeah. Stripe and Plaid in the last couple of weeks probably points to uh, maybe more of that coming in the the recent times. You know, do you think we will see more of that as organisations become maybe a little bit more mature in their size and maybe a little bit more immature in their approach? Yeah, I, I think it's uh, likely and expected. As with the adoption curves of many technologies, they start out as very novel, right? And uh, as time passes, the uh, components that make up that technology become relatively commoditized. Mm. And I empathize uh, deeply with the team at Plaid with how they might have felt that, hey, we, 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 we built this thing, but the actual fundamental reality is that like, the rest of the world has caught up from a technology perspective. And what they do is more or less commoditized. They definitely have like, a strong advantage in terms of like, relationships and rapport. And I really love the fact that regulation is the center <laughs> of the world, word cloud at a crypto fintech meetup thing. A lot of risk people here. I, I really, this is a great sign. Bullish. Like, let's, let's go. Um, it's not clear whether it's lack of or pro, is it? That's, uh, <laughs> Yeah, so I, I think those things are going to continue to happen. New things are going to be built. Uh, other people are going to commoditize them at an uh, increasingly fast rate. And, you know, some people will be upset about it. But ultimately, it's, it's great for the industry because it allows more options. Like, you know, Stripe's uh, existing customer base might never have considered like a connected bank account thing. Now they might. Ultimately, it's a boon for the industry. Individual players will obviously feel the brunt of that if they're the market leaders and they're losing share. But it's actually much better for everybody as opposed to like, you know, paying for like debit card fees and like credit card fees. Well, I think it definitely showed NDAs probably don't count for anything in, yeah. the, in the industry in that sense, <laughs> in terms of where people thought they were. But I guess that that sort of type of activity was probably reserved for big banks looking at tiny little startups and, you know, borrowing ideas in that sense. But what, what do you think, Rara? We need to see more of that. Yeah. I, so just for context, for those who don't know, Plaid, uh, very famous uh, open banking uh, play that uh, their entire product has been turned into a feature by giant Stripe, uh, who have been referred to as a mob. In, on Twitter by by one Ryan Breslow, who, you know, shout out to him. I hope he's okay. Um, but, like, we're going to see more of it, but, like, I think it's going to look different to what previous beefs or, like, you know, competitive, like, thievery looks like, looked like in the past. I think that, like, um, 
competitive thievery. That's a yeah. uh, that's a new term, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> I say things. I'd be saying things. Um, so I mean, like for example, the world of capitalism says that like competition is good. Um, we should have everyone doing the same things or and let people choose. But I think in if we're to reimagine and use like Web three to kind of like step away from the capitalist like world of like one big company serving everyone. I think that like copycatting and like in, in DeFi and crypto, like various protocols and like and blockchains that people can build on and like actually build their communities and build niche things that, that their communities want. I see I see the future in that. Um, and it doesn't have to be a stripe size business. Like you can actually there's, you know, like Lens Protocol, for example, just released and that's not in DeFi, it's in uh, social media. Uh, in Web3, they've, they've you know, released a protocol recently and like a lot of people are going to be building cool stuff on that. And like it's going to be derivative. Well, derivative is the word we use in the normal world, but like composable is the word we use in DeFi. Um, so it's it's like a lot of that is going to like it's not going to be called copycatting. It's going to or even beefing. It's going to be just like people building cool stuff and sharing and, and building for their communities and actually solving their problems. Hmm. Yeah, I guess the. Um the differing sides of that depend on if you've invested 10 million pounds in IP and somebody's borrowing your idea, you probably think very differently about yeah, it than right. if you're borrowing the IP. But I mean, obviously, I mean, these these sort of feuds are quite entertaining reading about them in the, the music industry. But do you think it's a is all competition positive in that sense in terms of moving the industry forward, do you think? I mean, I think it's really interesting from the partnerships perspective. We We constantly get asked, like, who are your competitors and how do you, you know, partner across the space. And I think what's been exciting is that people offering, you know, or companies offering similar services want to partner. And I think it's because at the end of the day, um, you know, if you can, if you can come together, um, whether that's for, you know, identifying fraud or just risk in general, like there, there's, there's economies of scale and benefits to be had. And so I think that um, people are more open to partnering now than I think we've ever seen, um, which doesn't isn't mutually exclusive from you know being competitive and offering competitive products. But I do think that there's like you know we're all sort of looking to redefine the space together, um, and and so there's more partnering I think than than meets the eye. Cool. Uh, the the sort of next thing theme wise to kind of pull out from a music industry perspective is uh, the punk industry and the hip hop industry. Not particularly good when it comes to representation to a certain degree in terms of uh, particularly around sort of misogyny when it comes to lyrics. It's got deep suddenly, isn't it? Like we've uh, we took a we took a corner. We've gone a little bit deeper. I mean, some of the financial services industry has been accused of pretty similar things, albeit not quite as uh, explicit. In fact, I reckon your camp members listened to some lyrics that they just weren't expecting to be listening to a, a <laughs> yeah, twelve-year-old no, setup no, or a, no, around. American it, but... camp can be a little different than the UK. <laughs> um, one, one of our yeah, I'm very, sure. Very, yeah. Very <laughs> I, uh, I would have been in shock if Al Kayla had uh, said those things. Um, uh, but, but actually, I mean, the banking industry and financial services more broadly has been sort of pointed to as kind of inherently sexist in that sense. Uh, I'm not saying the FS industry should be learning from hip hop in that sense, but do you think it is a sort of inherently uh, misogynistic industry in that sense? I'd, I'd say, yeah, like, don't let this panel fool you. Like, we are definitely, like, not the norm. Like, right now, we've got a gender balance, we've got quite a diverse panel, uh, and this is also intentional, right? But, like, the industry, the wider industry, in Web3 and, uh, like, fintech and, and financial services is quite, like, unbalanced, and, and there's, quite a, there's quite a lot of, um, like, racism, anti-blackness, uh, sexism, homophobia that just 
is baked into the ways that, that, that these, these systems work. But it's like bad guy bingo. They're just yeah, doing it all, it's aren't like, they? Bing, 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 bing. Yeah, all the, all the bad guys, all the bad people. Um, but, like, it's changing slightly. Like, I think, I think that, that fintech, um, we're seeing change in terms of diversity and inclusion and, and belonging in that space. But Web3, like I said before, as much as Web3 is trying to be like democratizing and all that, it's still quite, there's still quite a, a, a difference um, in, in not much, not, not much diversity, but um, I was going to ask like Wiza, in, 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 you work specifically on the African continent. Um, is this something that you're finding? And that's a, that's an emerging market, uh, very young population. Is diversity like a problem like, or lack of there in, on the continent and in emerging markets? I would probably describe it as like the most significant problem that exists today. And I find it really dumb because like you're annihilating like 52% of your total total addressable market size, <laughs> right? Then it's like, oh my seems, God. It seems like a problem, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, like just from like, the get-go. Oh my yeah. goodness, right? So I think a lot of people um, don't look at the data uh, with regards to how women specifically consume financial products. They're typically higher savers than men. Uh, higher earners than men and a lot more credit worthy than men, uh, at least in emerging markets. And like that alone is like an obvious like business opportunity that uh, unfortunately uh, people who have privilege and who are like sitting in the seats of power tend not to see. Um, I have had to learn to have grace for such people uh, and not view them as inherently evil. They know not what they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like, I think a lot of things that you can attribute to malice can be explained by stupidity. And when you look at it from that perspective, it's, that. it's easier to start to think about like what sort of like mechanisms and structures can we put in place uh, to sort of like reduce those imbalances. But like this is a very deep-seated uh, problem that is not uh, specific to tech. And I always feel that uh, those of us who have seats of power in the industry can do more and have to do more if this industry is going to succeed. Otherwise, there's really no point. Like, you can't have a thing that only works for half the people in the world and call it global. Definitely. I mean, to one form or another, we've all got a platform of some kind, and it's what you choose to do with that, right? It makes makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, crypto bros are a thing, though, right, in that, in that sense. So yeah. almost the industry sort of continuing to perpetuate those things to a certain degree is probably not a not a great not a great look for the industry is it absolutely awful so it's a branding problem that uh, needs uh, wicked solutions at scale yeah but what, what do you think i mean is is financial services inherently misogynistic sounds like such a loaded question to ask you yikes but... yeah um <laughs> wow um i would say that uh, i mean i will answer that by saying that um, I think that there is certainly a bro culture within, you know, DeFi. Sure. I'm not going to lie. I was at the Bitcoin conference in Miami, and that was a, so a sight to be seen. Um, yeah, thank you for that. Um, but I, I do think that um, there are things that people are doing to kind of, uh, you know, alleviate that. Um, you know, platforms like Shefi, organizations like Shefi, I think that's an example. And, and then I think at the end of the day, it's really like, what is it, What is your organization doing? So at Orem, we have about two-thirds of our leadership are female, and we are really, really intent on hiring a diverse workforce with different perspectives, different experiences. And so um, you do what you can, right? And mm. so I think that um, if every organization committed to that, we'd be in a better spot. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, it, it is strange, isn't it? It's a... Um there's no shortage of talent kind of across the board at this stage. 
Uh, it's whether people really sort of choose to kind of find that, isn't it, in that, in that sense. And it's, uh, you know, every single hiring decision sort of makes a difference, doesn't it, in that sense. But uh, all right, guys, well, uh, well, we're going to move on to the next track, as it were, we're using the, uh, the music metaphor to keep us going and going. And the next one really is about collaboration in that sense. You know, this is something that punk and hip hop has, has been really sort of famed for, whether it's Jay-Z, which you'll be happy to know, uh, collaborating with Linkin Park, amazing album, <laughs> definitely a, one, one, for the, one for the fans. On the other hand, though, there are uh, collaborations like Limp Bizkit's Chocolate Starfish, which I don't think, I don't think even Sam would admit to, to owning and listening to in his Jeep. Um, <laughs> but um, what, what do we sort of think in that sense? Can Define and Better Finance make sweet, sweet music together? Sorry, I had to, <laughs> I had to say it was in the script in that sense. But uh, I mean, is this something, do you think, obviously we've talked about these things kind of in a, in a bit of a silo so far in terms of either from a technological perspective, a community perspective, or the impact that, 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 that they can actually have. But can these silos really come together, do you think, to, to really have a significant impact on the, you know, the future fabric of financial services? I, I'll start by saying, fuck yeah. Uh, so I think I'm very bullish on like, the concept of fintech and DeFi uh, marrying and making sweet, sweet music um, <laughs> together. But like, yeah, definitely, uh, I think that like we said before, uh, you know, in the, in the discussion earlier about uh, how innovation in DeFi is going to be like, there's not going to be people staking or yield farming or like, it's not going to be called that. It's going to be it's going to be words and and concepts that we understand. Uh, so it's going to be fintech in the front, DeFi in the back, right? So the the, crypt, the DeFi mullet, which is which is talked, which was coined by the guys at Bankless. Um, I, you know, I think Terry's here. What's up, Terry? I'm not going to call you out, but <laughs> Terry's also a mullet. Um, so people, there's there's a growing movement of people who are building stuff, like people from like traditional incumbent fintechs, who understand and partnership and collaboration, and understand that you're not you're not here to take my lunch. We're here to get lunch together and maybe have some caviar with it too. Um, like definitely, like, we had lunch earlier on Guerra. There was did. no caviar. In I should, if I'd known you were picking up the bill, I'd have got the caviar. <laughs> <in it>. uh, <laughs> but no, I think that uh, yeah, like like a lot of uh, things like Visa, for example, are leaning way into crypto and, and DeFi uh, and offering services to their customers that may not look like fin like like DeFi like on on the face of it. But I think I think it was you, David, that once the one said that people also people don't want a mortgage; they want a house. So like actually solving customers' problems are, is gonna come from that kind of collaboration. I, I, think I, I think I just loudly shouted, nobody gives a shit about banking. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing. And, and to yeah. your point, it, it, that's what it comes down to, isn't yeah. it? It's like you solve real problems in that sense. I mean, you, you pointed earlier on where like UX issues as yeah. a specific piece, and that's obviously something that, you know, uh, people put up with really bad experiences if they're like really committed to the community. But is that something that you think is almost a, the major hurdle for, for mainstream adoption? Yes, it's it's the you know at Eleven of Us we we it's actually working at Eleven of Us is like a fever dream because it, in a good way because we get to work with like incumbent banks and speak to these people and and hear like you know try and work th work through their we're like therapists almost not really uh, work through their problems um, and then we also talk to crypto natives and and get and and you know fintechs as well um, so we we kind of straddle that line that is really interesting and I, I I can go on record and I'm very confident saying that. The UX problem will be solved by fintechs, and it will be solved by people or businesses who are building stuff that customers understand. So, like, I'm going to call out like Echo, for example. Like, this is a neo bank that is powered by DeFi. They're able to provide high yield savings accounts to their customers. What, what's the US rate right now? 0.5%. They're offering 5%. 
there's Zend Finance uh, in Nigeria who are offering high-yield savings accounts to community banks in Nigeria. There's Bitmama and, and Changera in Nigeria as well who are doing cross-border payments or cross-border remittances. Uh, on the surface of it, customers are seeing what they no one understand, which is fiat, but it's being powered by USDCs, which is a, you know, a stable coin. So that's the UX problem right there. Yeah. And it's going to be solved by that kind of collaboration. Yeah. Do, do you think, um, I mean, one, one thing I, I guess to sort of push on like the mainstream side of things here is, is like, what role do you think the incumbents have to play? Because, I mean, one of the things that popped up earlier on was uh, there was quite a few people who said, you know, incumbent skepticism in this sense. But do you think it's only going to matter when, I don't know, Chase do this or, you know, Citibank are kind of pushing this stuff? Do you think it will get mainstream adoption at the point where it's got mainstream distribution? Uh, horse carriage industry was incredibly skeptical about automobiles. I, I, I was not expecting that tangent. <laughs> here, but sorry. Right? Yeah, yeah. Like, uh, if you read the, the press from the early 1900s, they were extremely skeptical. They couldn't believe. Like, How do you what? even find that? Like, what, <laughs> what were you Googling at that point? <laughs> I've written, I've written extensively on, on this particular topic yeah. and how um, incumbents have a, a very significant role to play. Mm. Uh, I'll only speak about my markets because I can't, for the life of me, figure out how the US dollar seems to work. But I like it, though. It's really it nice. It's really nice. <laughs> I, think, I think definitely collaboration is not only expected but necessary uh, because this is going to be like a very layered thing. Um, I think that DeFi will end up playing a very like back-end role uh, into supporting uh, embedded finance applications, especially in jurisdictions where there are no like alternatives. So I'm very sure that I don't sound like it, but like if I didn't need to use crypto, I probably wouldn't use it. But I use it like by force. I'm not doing this for fun. Like I'm not signing <laughs> up on Binance and like trying to move money from my card to get like a stable coin so that I can send money to my mom in Malawi. Who, doesn't see all this stuff. Um, uh, there's, a, there's a gap and there's a very big segment of the world um, that isn't served with the existing solutions that exist. How so mind-blowing. You guys can like, pay for your car slowly over time. Oh, amazing. So, <laughs> that's like such a surreal concept to me. Like, yeah. <laughs> um, and when I think about it from that perspective, uh, it really equalizes the playing fields. The world economy runs on the US dollar specifically, but not everyone can access its utility in the same ways. And obviously that may change over time, but I do think that it makes sense in a world that has been made so small by the internet for everyone to have the same sort of experiences with money. And as a Malawian who's very privileged, right? I'm still like locked out of so many, I can't buy stocks, I can't buy US stocks at all. Yeah. In any form or way, with all of my papers, all of the bank CEOs that I have on WhatsApp that I can just text and say, it's really, really remarkable. So for sure, I think there's, there's going to be a collaboration and it might not be felt uh, as vividly here first because, again, in the US, the US, the US dollar's home where they just print them <laughs> <laughs> out of thin air. It's amazing. Maybe the Nigerian central bankers pipe dream. <laughs> I'll pause there. <laughs> We can come back to how great the dollar is in a, in a yeah. second if you if you'd like to. It took an like as somebody who's really into crypto, the the sort of monologue and how great the dollar was. I wasn't expecting as much as anything else, but uh, but I agree from a stability perspective, there's a hell of a lot there, isn't there? I mean, uh, what do you think? I mean, traditional banking organisations that 
that sort of collaboration I think it's this. already happening. Yeah? I think it's already happening. And I think that it's, it's enablement as opposed to like launching net new products because I think by definition you can't have DeFi within like a, you know, a traditional bank necessarily, but it, the enablement is already there. And I think that there's expertise within traditional banks mm -hmm. that can lend itself to DeFi, whether that's um, you know, ledgering or liquidity or all sorts of things and that will come into play. Um, so I think that there, there's already kind of a lot of cross-pollination that's already happening on the back end that we just don't think about or know about when we're um, engaging with apps or investing. Does it, I mean, does it sound, to your point, it sounds almost completely counterintuitive to have incumbent organizations involved in DeFi, you know? It's like having, it's the dad at the disco, do you know what I mean? It's like having the, the incumbent or the regulator part of something that's actually trying to change how that culture or change how the establishment works. But... I mean, it's almost an inevitability, isn't it? You know, it's it's punk going mainstream and becoming popular. It, it will it will happen, and it will become regulated, and it will become the establishment in that sense. Don't you think? I think so, because you at the end of the day, the biggest challenge is how do you bridge fiat and DeFi, and 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 thus you there has to be some sort of integration or uh, connectivity to traditional systems. Yeah. What What do you think, Guerra? Is is popular? not a bad thing and just an inevitability if it's actually any good? If it's good, yeah. If like we're able to solve the fucking like UX problem, hell yeah. I think it'd be great like to have, you know, someone who's living in India or Africa able to hedge and like um, against like currency devaluation or um, inflation by saving and, and it, it, you know, benefiting from a, a DeFi pool or, you know, the a high interest yield, for example. I think that the this this kind of UX problem, like I said, would, that would be solved, would be solved definitely through collaboration. Um, but yeah, to your point about should banks be wading into this space and like the data, the disco, get the data over, get us Birkenstocks on and like, you know, like bring them over, let's have a weird conga dance because that's the only way really we're going to like have, um, you know, mainstream adoption. I think as early, we were speaking earlier about how I've built a muscle for empathy for incumbents whilst working at 11FS because... For so long, I was like, boo, big banks. But now I'm like, oh, no, they have real problems. And, like, they're actually trying. Um, Me? <laughs> yeah, they, you know. Stephen Chase. Uh, I'm not going to say names. Uh, <laughs> but, um, you know, they, they actually care. You know, there's people who care about solving real problems for customers. And um, they have the distribution. They have, they have the customers, um, like, using their, their services that, like, I think we need to bring them on the journey and actually, you know, like, I sit in conversations with bank executives who are just like, tell me more about this DeFi thing. And their, their risk people are like, ding, 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 screaming at us. They'd be like, no, we can't touch crypto. And I'm like, actually, this is, this is a very methodical approach you can take to this. And there's actually like really great things, like customer outcomes, but also like there's an incredibly lucrative value chain here. Like if you look at, you know, the, the user journeys and all that in, in uh, adopting this. But yeah, I think, I think that the, collaborate, the collaborative piece is what's going to make it go mainstream as it should uh, as pe people should be be able to you know manage their finances uh, benefit from like actually like i hate the term financial inclusion but like because it's yeah it's a very complicated term but like people should be able to be in, like included in the economy so that they can so we can actually move forward and have some change so, and i'm speaking mostly from like a global south perspective yeah. um, where people are underserved and I hate again I hate using that term because like yeah well yeah my dear friend here Weezer here is underserved homeboy can't get stocks in America can you imagine you know can you imagine so like I think that like mainstream banks and or financial services payments companies um 
should be scrambling to mm. invest in, partner with, acquire crypto natives as well as like other fintechs who are like solving real problems. Yeah. And it's all reasonably relative, isn't it, in that sense? I mean, I think when the Gates Foundation come out and talk about bottom of the pyramids, they don't mean that you can't buy Tesla stock, you know, yeah. like, uh, but but actually I think the the ability to, to your point around inclusion, it's, it's across the board, isn't it? Yeah. And that's, I mean, a lot of what we've talked about has been inclusion in various different guises. It's inclusion in the narrative, inclusion in the community, you know, inclusion from a representation perspective and, and many different guises in that sense. So that was a bloody good summary, Guerra. Yeah. I think people, uh, that was... I'll just summarize. People don't want a mortgage. They want a house. And, like, people don't want to buy stocks and shares. They want to actually save money in a way that is, like, their money's working for them, right? Like, there's ways you can actually solve those problems that are, you know, quite accessible if you... For sure. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a bunch of smart people in the room. So this, at this point, we're going to try and pass the mic. Told you there was lots of those. Um, so uh, this is sort of time to kind of open up the chat to you guys. Like, what are the things that are on the tips of your tongue or problems that you see from an industry's perspective in that, that sense? So if you have any questions regarding DeFi or embedded finance, I mean, if you just want to talk more about punk and hip hop, that's fine <laughs> too. Uh, but uh, raise your hands. There's a mic that'll kind of run around. I know Sam's got questions. Like, you just, just get out there. But, uh, any questions for anybody, anybody? Any comments that you want to make about DeFi that it's confusing? Or there we go. We've got. There's always a volunteer to go first. Well done. Uh, who are you? Where are you from? And what's the question? So, I'm Puruni. I'm from Ireland. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> I, I, I sort of meant company-wise rather than geographically. Really. Sorry. <laughs> I know, that was my bad, wasn't it? <laughs> I'm from Washington, D.C. Um, I work for Claros, so we focus on reg tech, risk and compliance. And I'm interested in financial inclusion, and you said that's a loaded word, and I would like to know more. Okay. <laughs> We're going to need um, I apologize you know if we this, have to stay here all so night. This is like purely opinion-based, right? And I'm going to keep it short. Financial inclusion is state making, and it is basically states choosing to include their constituents or people in, in that state to surveil them. And that's why, C like for example, CBDCs have been touted as uh, a financial inclusion tactic, right? But like ultimately, someone in a country like Nigeria using CBDCs basically puts them on a map and like allows the government to track them. And so, I mean, I, I'm very much a fan of like you know, um, privacy uh, and people being able to, like, live their lives without without having to look over their shoulders, especially in, in regions of the world that are have, like, low financial inclusion. So, like I said, people don't want a mortgage. I keep saying this, but they want, or they, they don't want a currency to pay with. They want to acquire things to eat, to live. Um, and that, like, financial inclusion, a lot of tactics around that have been detrimental, and I, I can't quote this, but have been detrimental to the communities in which it exists. Like a lot of a lot of surveillance, um, a lot of yeah. It's it's just like it's not all bad though, um, but it is like it's quite complicated, and I need to have someone here with a PhD to kind of talk through it with me. <laughs> but yeah, uh, guys, anything you want to add on that one? I definitely think that there's a, an angle from like a surveillance perspective, but then like for the vast majority of people who are uh, 
unbanked or underbanked in some ways, like myself, the benefits typically outweigh the cost because they don't have like any uh, alternative avenue. So like, okay, if you're like, you know, a random Malawian somewhere, it's 80% of the country is small, the farmers, we have like 12% grid electricity population penetration. If someone like that, if you told me like, okay, I can give you like a thousand kwacha loan, which is like a very tiny amount of money, but life-changing for some people can make a big difference. I don't care what data I have to give you. Yeah. <laughs> right? like, it's yeah. fine. You can take my data. You can take my family's data too. Of them all So I think I think there's definitely some nuance there. And uh, you know, talking back to your Nigeria example, right? Now people in Nigeria won't adopt like CBDCs at no, all. No, so I would liken it to like I was in JFK yesterday. Yeah. And like I would give my firstborn child to get access to the Wi-Fi there. You know what I mean? Like, I'll give them whatever they need. Uh, but, like, I would like to not, you know? It would be nice if I could actually use, like, connect to internet that I felt that I didn't, I wasn't giving all my information to. Yeah. So that's the approach that I have to financial inclusion. Yes, get people online. Yes, get people banked or, or financially included. But, like, let's tone down the control. Hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think it's an interesting. I think the Gates Foundation have come out and said there's something like 2.7 billion people who are not included in any form of financial oh, services oh, oh, right I, now. Sorry, <laughs> sorry, not him, not me. Well, He's kind of included, but it, of but included. it's an interesting one because actually how financial services have evolved. Just having access to a checking account or a current account doesn't really mean you're involved. You know, and actually I think it's a a massive kind of program, not just of gaining access and making. Uh, large organizations figure out how to make that financially even something that they can do because if it costs you two or three hundred dollars to run a, a basic checking account well you're going to have to make money off people somewhere which makes it impossible from an inclusion perspective um, but actually education plays such a massive part of that as well I think it's it sort of points to a bad point of where we are in a cycle with financial services which is we've actually reached a really bad place, which is what's accessible is self-service, and what we need is something that actually is better for you than that. Because if I have to make decisions about what financially is the best thing for me, I'm a fucking idiot, do you know what I mean? Like, and like, most people don't understand percentages or APRs or anything. So being in a situation where actually we, we give that confidence or the, the sort of autopilot nature of what that should be, um, that's where I think we kind of need to get to in that spend. Good question, though. Uh, any other questions? At the back. We're making you work for this, aren't we? We really are. Don't fall up the stairs. I don't think our insurance is great. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thank you, David. Uh, Mark Hochstein. I'm with Coindesk. I cover crypto, but I actually have a boomer question. You, you have a what question? Um, a, a boomer question. A boomer question. Uh, so it's got to do with embedded finance and how do you define embedded finance? I mean, uh, you know, there is a long history of non-financial companies that had financial services going back to, you know, Sears, which I think Discover used to be a part of. General Motors used to have their own in-house uh, auto loan company. Uh, Target used to have their own credit card bank. Uh, what What is new about embedded finance and how does it differ from... The you know the, the sort of old old models. Yeah, I mean there's a there's a sort of horizontal or a vertical nature of that stack in that sense. Uh, I mean I, I do agree with you. I think the there is nuance between the the definitions around those things. But for me, it's taking the solution to as close to the problem as you can you can make it. 
I think PayPal were a fantastic example of that. They were the, the archetype of, I can't be asked to find my wallet, therefore I'm going to use the PayPal button, mm -hmm. um, which is you know, the best solution in that sense, which is embedding the solution near the problem. Um, what, what do you guys think? Uh, how would you sort of describe that from an embedded finance perspective? I mean, I think there are two ways you can think about it. What you were saying from a verticals perspective, like how can embedded finance unlock payments and just end-to-end -end capabilities outside the vertical, right? Like, um, I don't know, like mind-body as an example. But then on the other, on the flip side, I think where you're seeing evolution is where different embedded um, products are part of a stack. Um, for a fintech, right? And that's that's what I think we're seeing is more ubiquitous these days. Yeah. I mean, that, that has an interesting knock-on effect from a regulatory perspective as well, doesn't it? Because at the point where, you know, Apple's, what, Apple pays sort of 2 or 3% of their, their revenue a year, which doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're Apple, it's a lot. Um, and actually, I mean, people like Shopify, you know, a good chunk of their revenue now is coming actually from from financial services, even though they're not a financial services player. So, uh, you know, just because you're not a bank doesn't mean you can't get into banking. And that's really kind of the point in that sense, I guess. Interesting question, though. What's your thinking on that? Uh, I'll just go over the follow-up. So there is, I mean, you know, one of the sort of bedrock principles of, of bank regulation is separation of banking and commerce. So, like, like uh, how, you know, based on what you've observed, uh, how, how do the regulators feel about embedded finance, and do they see risk in that? Uh, very different in different geos, like yeah. really different in different geos. I think the, the model you kind of described very much here, um, European, very different, uh, Asian, very, very different as well. Um, so I think it's emerging in different places, and it, it kind of really comes back to, this, again, the problem it's solving for who uh, in that sense. But uh, what do you guys think? Fragmented AF. Um, regulation is just, and that's globally, also like regions like Africa that are seen as a monolith often, but it's 54 countries. And um, yeah, regulation is, it's different. I can't even give a confident answer because, uh, I mean, I give an answer for like the UK, for example. So like the UK has this beautiful, wonderful body called the FCA, um, the Financial Conduct Authority. Um, look at me, cape, like caping for a regulator. They're great. Um, so they're, They've done a really good job uh, regulating like various fintech solutions, and more recently, like Klarna, which I would describe as an embedded finance play. Right, like they they provide embedded finance at the point of need. So at the checkout, uh, they're offering loans, which a lot of people don't know that, unfortunately. But they they kind of have approached it with like a ask for forgiveness versus ask for permission. And the UK regulator is actually like in a thoughtful way responding. So. Um, in the UK, for example, like more very, very recently, I think it's like this week or like next week, they're going to start reporting um, Klarna uh, repayment data to the credit bureaus. Um, so that's taken a while, but uh, yeah, there's, I can only speak to the UK and that's like probably in terms of geos, one of the best regulators is the FCA, like at least more forward thinking regulators. I don't know about the States or Africa, but yeah. Yeah, I think like uh, going back to the, the specifics of your question, definitely very geographically nuanced. And I think in jurisdictions where um, there are no existing alternatives or there hasn't been abuse of systems in the past, that sort of like rationale doesn't make sense. When you when you speak to the that separation logic, it, you know they, it's it's there to curb a mischief, right? And that mischief can only occur because the infrastructure was there. So in jurisdictions where the infrastructure is being built from scratch, 
the benefits tend to like really outweigh the costs. And I've seen like very progressive uh, positions from regulators in countries like South Africa, Nigeria, Kenya-ish to some extent. Um, and I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. Uh, I do think though that it will be, it may become necessary um, as the industry start to evolve from like an adoption perspective and like bad actors start to pop up and loopholes in the system start to expose themselves. Then you know the regulators will 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 adapt uh, accordingly. So yeah, that's my view. Very good. Uh, any other questions? Any other? Like two more. All right. There's another one over here. So, so, uh, so, yeah, so, so polite you're here. Yeah. And she I get, know otherwise. It's good. She'll get to go next. Um, my name's Caleb. I'm from PayPal, so I appreciate the shout out. Um, <laughs> my question is, uh, we've talked a lot about barriers to entry, and I'm interested to hear where you guys have seen successful on and off ramps into the DeFi space. Oh, my God. Ooh. Can I take your thunder? If I, go or ahead. Like, go ahead go you ahead. might say the same thing I'm going to say. Go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Phone bank in Africa. So, yeah, you were going to say that? Yeah. Damn. Uh, so, <laughs> <laughs> phone bank is F-O-N-B-N-K. Um, they are an on-ramp, off-ramp via airtime. So, Kenya is what we call a prepaid economy. People pay as you go, like, their lives. Uh, and on their phones, like, people have airtime, so money that is on their phone that they use to pay for data, calls, texts, all that stuff. So these guys are enabling people to use airtime to on-ramp into crypto, uh, which is pretty impressive, uh, in my opinion. But uh, did you, is there any... I mean, yeah. Chippecash is also another one. So uh, I don't want to alarm anybody, but I am on a counter-terrorism financing watch list in Kenya. I feel like the team should have <laughs> should, we, we should have raised bombs. this earlier. You we know? <laughs> said dropping bombs. So bombs. yeah, like you know, I found out when uh, the DCI equivalent of the FBI in Kenya showed up at my doorstep with two automatic rifles, um, and they were uh, wanting me to explain to them exactly why my mobile money account was having, in their view, uh, anomalous transactions, right? <laughs> and what I came to learn was that I got flagged because um, the way that I on and off ramp uh, onto crypto in Kenya is through peer-to-peer. -peer. There's no regulatory framework, so I can't put my card on a website or link my bank account, that would be so nice. Like, I will like, get matched with somebody who wants to either buy or sell the asset that I'm looking for, and then I'll be the counterparty to that trade. But all it looks like to my bank is that, like, okay, this Visa guy is not doing anything for 15 days, and all of a sudden, one day, he's in the country, and there's, like, money coming in from, like, random people who's never transacted with before, and, like, leaving to random people that he's never transacted with before, and then it's, like, quiet again for 15 days. There's a black guy with dreadlocks from Malawi. <laughs> we should investigate, right? Um, and you certainly have to like reach certain volumes to trigger those types of alerts, um, you know. And what I came to learn was that like there's a lot of us in Kenya who use like P2P to on and off ramp. And when you look at the analysis data from last year, it's over 100 billion dollars transacted P2P across African addresses, and it just works because like the need is so high. Like I was not like again trying to buy USDC because I want to. <laughs> but like, I need to send money to my mom. I need to send money to my brother. And you're, if you're trying to send money to Nigeria, the delta between the official central bank rates and the actual market rate is like 140 naira, like 460 four to 600. 
of course, people are going to use uh, stable coins and, and, and crypto. So I think peer-to-peer -peer is, is extremely successful. And it exists only as a function of the lack of regulation because I would much rather just like use a centralized, like, I, I imagine you guys like go onto Coinbase and click a button and the crypto is there. Must be nice. <laughs> Catch relates. Uh, I would love that for me though. <laughs> I, I feel like my, uh, my fintech credentials have been sort of threatened there somehow, which is like, I get a push, push notification from my bank telling me I go, I'm gonna go overdrawn. He gets two people turning up to his house with a gun <laughs> to explain his transactions. It's like, uh, suddenly I don't feel so cool in that sense. But, uh, but I, I think it's mainstream adoption. You know, actually when we start seeing, and, and actually we have, you know, companies like Revolut make it really easy for people to, to get in and out of that sense because they put that stuff right next to all of the, the normal things as well. So I think as it's, slowly integrated into normal banking as well, then, you know, the on and off of that, it becomes even easier, really. But uh, well, I mean, I think the next step is to make it less expensive and think about the downstream economics, because today a lot of it is wires or card, you know, on, on card rails, which is extremely expensive and not really scalable. So at Orem, we're really, you know, thinking about how we partner across the space to leverage our platform to make that even more seamless through less expensive rails, right? Because that's that's really the next step. You shouldn't have to pay three percent or more to you know move money into your own wallet. Great. All right. Uh, next question. All right. Uh, we are very privileged to be in New York this evening. One of greatest cities, my personal favorite, the greatest city in the world. However, slightly I'll, biased, but yeah, like uh, <laughs> very biased. I can say that now. I would just. <laughs> When we talk about financial inclusion and the fact that we are living in one of the more expensive cities in the world, given the state of inflation right now, how do we bring more people into this ecosystem, especially when financial access is very hamstrung right now? Um, when you think about just Bitcoin itself, 80% of the wealth is held by 9% of the Bitcoin holders. And then same with NFTs. It's worse, actually. It's 95% of the wealth. It's held by 2 to 3% of the, you know, what do you want to call them? Fintech bros or the whales. The bros. whales. The whales. Precisely. Whales. So we have platforms, and this is a platform for that. So how do we elevate those voices and bring those up? And what are your perspectives on doing that in a way that actually brings more people into the system and how we hold ourselves accountable? Yeah. I mean, I think it I mean it, it's incredibly difficult because I'm not sure I'm not sure that's a crypto thing. I'm not sure that's a DeFi thing. I think it's a financial services industry problem. Uh, and because of that, I think it comes back to the points we were making earlier on, which is actually if it costs you a couple of hundred quid to run a, a current account, it makes it almost impossible in anything other than tokenistic TCF stuff at a marketing level within a very large organization to say, well, actually, we're going to give access to, to financial services to people who, who really need it. You know? And I mean, even in New York, I think it's, was it something like 7% are unbanked? Like that's insane for a, you know, like you say, for such an, an amazing city, for so many people to be excluded from financial services and an identity in that sense in terms of being able to just be a normal person. That's crazy, isn't it? So, but I think it will come down to, it's like, it has to be a big company problem. I'm not sure that will be a, a fintech solution that solves that one. It will need to be either community pressure or regulatory pressure that puts you know, real pressure on big organizations to start really providing financial services to everybody. Democratization is like a fintech, you know, uh, investor pitch word that's thrown around a lot. But I think it's in a real sense, that's what needs to happen, you know. 
I think also from, from a product perspective, like we've heard people say this before, meet the customer where they're at, like just solve a real problem. So like I would look to the past, right? To who's done that really well in New York and America, for example, Cash App. Cash App has done more to bank Americans than any government body in this country. Like what have they done? They've actually gone to customers, they've served, they've solved real problems. So I'd say like someone like Cash App or a Cash App adjacent type business, would do a really good job of actually onboarding folks into this new economy. Um, but then, you know, I, when I think of like onboarding, and so that's on ramps, off ramps, I think of the, you know, Finding Nemo, you know, the, the, when the fish are flushed out into the sea and then they're like bobbing up and down in the plastic bags and they're like, now what? So that's what on ramp, off ramps is to, in my brain. I'm like, okay, cool, people are in now, what, what next? People have been able to in, like on ramp into crypto, what now? So it's building actual products that people need and, and want to use. And, and for Weasel, for example, that, that's, that's, that's moving money globally and on-ramping into crypto via P2P payments. That could be made way smoother and way easier. Less um, guns, too. Less guns, you know? <laughs> I mean, we're in America, so I don't even want to talk about guns, but um, I've never lived in America. I'm so sorry. <laughs> so I don't have an opinion about that. Um, so in, in like a two, three-minute you know, vibe, how do we solve financial inclusion? Less guns. Um, first of all, she never got a chance to introduce herself. Um, but like, I like the way you framed the question. If you ever like run for public office, I want to vote for you. Or <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I really like the question. Uh, it's, it's a very thoughtful one. Um, I think everyone has a role to play. What fintechs can do well, if I can draw on the Cash App example, Cash App came um, to the industry while it was really mature. Like, you know, peer-to-peer -peer transfers were not, like, amazing. But they were able to package it uh, and build trust to a different audience mm -hmm. that was not uh, previously engaging with the existing solutions there. And I think, like, there's a lot of commoditized plays where um, a new user can, a new player can come in and, like, reach a whole new audience just because of their messaging and their positioning and, most critically, their UX. I don't think that we do anything particularly special at Chipper, for example, but, you know, we have 7 million users. And it's not because we have the most amazing service in the world. There are, like, so many competitors. But we speak to a certain type of consumer who resonates with us and our brand in that way. And I think, like, there's room for several. And the more of them that can be allowed to operate, I think the closer we get to this very noble goal. Um, and I think it's a function of time more so than everything, and than anything. And everyone at every layer has a role to play. So we can only speak for fintechs, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. I think a lot of it is financial education at the end of the day. And I don't think that's the, um, fintechs can, can single-handedly spearhead that. I think at the end of the day, it has to be embedded within your public education system. Um, and I also think that it's really about rethinking products and just the way that they're structured. Um, and that has to come from the private, the private sector, but that may just have to be um, regulated ultimately, sadly. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. I mean, I guess from, you know, even purely from an IDMV perspective, there's going to have to be some changes in that context to really include everybody in that market, isn't there? So it's, uh, it's going to be an interesting one. But again, until people are made to do it, the business model is probably going to preclude them from actually doing it, sadly. So uh, on that note, we're probably going to have to wrap it up, though. I know it does seem like a sad place to, to leave it, doesn't it, in terms of it? But maybe, maybe a topic for another show, like how do we solve financial inclusion for the, you know, taking 
fintech and financial services to the globe. It's going to be an interesting one to do. Uh, all right, on, on that note, and to quote Joey Ramone, well, I guess it's over and done, and we had some good times, and we had some fun. We did. It was nice. Uh, thank you so much to all the audience for, for joining us. Audience, give yourself a bloody good round of applause. And thank you so much to our guests. Where can people learn a little bit more about you, Guerra? Uh, 11fs.com, specifically 11fs.com forward slash ventures. We're doing a lot of cool shit there. Uh, if you're a payments company trying to, clamoring to enter crypto, give us a shout. Um, also on Twitter at NotGuerra. Very good. Wiza. Um, I'm on Twitter at WizaJ, in the letter J, across all social media. I do try to engage with everyone on Twitter, but I block bad vibes or like, yeah, and for like, yeah, like just put it up there. Just putting that warning out there straight away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Guns different. and bad come vibes. Come correct, come yeah. correct. Yeah. I'm always happy to check. FBI and bad vibes. Larissa. <laughs> you can check us out at orum.io and uh, you can find me at larissat22 and now you know my password to all of my accounts, yeah. <laughs> Dangerous. Uh, as for me, you can find me lurking predominantly on LinkedIn these days. Uh, thank you so much to our team for putting on the event tonight. If you want to stay in touch with everything that 11FS or Fintech Insider is doing, we're pretty much available on every social media channel at this stage just for search for 11FS or Fintech Insiders. Uh, for those in the room, let's enjoy... I mean, Fintech Insider After Dark is always not just about the event. It's always about having a laugh and having some beers and having some food afterwards. So please do join us for some pizza and some uh, alcohols after the show. Uh, thank you to everybody and thank you to the team for putting on everything that they did tonight. Give everybody a round of applause for putting on the show. And thank you to everybody for listening as well. Good night, everybody. Goodbye. Up with all the noise and news from the world of financial services isn't easy. It's easy to get lost in buzzwords, jargon, and industry speak. So sometimes you just need a quick human rundown of the biggest stories. Well, you are in luck. Bite-sized is our very own weekly newsletter that takes the biggest news stories from financial services and tells you exactly what's happening, why it matters, and what comes next. Bitesize goes out every Friday at 11am, so you can enjoy it with a coffee as you wrap up your week. Stay up to speed with the fast-moving world of financial services and subscribe today at 11fs.com forward slash newsletters. That's 11fs.com forward slash newsletters.